Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4. While you're turning there, just a little bit of an introduction of ourselves. We've been attending here uh, for about a year, actually. Sit over here this side. Um, my wife and our mom is involved in the women's Bible study, and we enjoy the fellowship here. It's great. I uh, retired from pastoring a few years ago and then went back to work and then retired from some other things and went back to work. And um, currently, my wife and I manage a nonprofit Christian counseling organization. My early training was in Master's Marriage and Family Therapy. Uh, my wife's a registered drug and alcohol counselor. I found it more economically efficient just to marry a drug and alcohol counselor than to try to you know, pay for all the services. So see how that's working for me. Uh, you know, the reality is we started about eight, nine years ago uh, an organization called The Relationship Warehouse, which is kind of an interesting name. We wanted to warehouse services for families Throughout uh, my really my life in higher education and pastoring, we were just inundated all the time with people with relationship issues, and I spent much of my life in the scripture, teaching the scripture, and you know the Bible is all about relationship. It first of all explains us how to have a relationship with God. How do we know Him and who He is? It also teaches us how to have a relationship with each other. That's why we're looking at this text in James today. I think one of the great passages of scripture that helps us understand really why we why we struggle you know why is it so hard uh, we've been married 37 years uh, she was real young when I married her she's about seven uh, <laughs> we lived in Oklahoma it's legal there uh, sorry. a bad joke hey you gotta go with what you got and uh, whenever I tell us how long we've married I have to kind of you know, disguise that a little bit. But, you know, we, uh, through our, our lifetime together, even though we were trained in things, you know, it's, it's hard to have lasting relationships. You know, there are a lot of relationships that last that aren't very good. This is going to be out front with that. You know, just because something lasts doesn't mean it's good necessarily. You know, healthy relationships tend to last, but not all lasting relationships are very healthy. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where we've reproduced a lot of unhealthy things in relationship. That's why they fail today. That's why they fail today at you know, catastrophic rates. That's why a lot of people don't even think about being married anymore. Because we have generations of failure in that. And they're like, well, why should I bother? I think most of you know that people who don't marry have a higher fail rate than that relationship than people who do. But the reality is we all need help. Because we have struggles and relationships. And I never met anybody that came in for counseling or needed help who didn't have conflicts. You know, it's like, oh, we don't have any conflicts. We just got tired of living. No, it's always some differences between people that causes conflict. And so this passage of Scripture deals with that specifically. So follow along, James chapter 4, just verses 1 through 5. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill, covet, but you cannot have what you want. 
You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think the scripture says without reason the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The word of God is profound and revealing things about our human nature. Um, one of my favorite parts of the scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in that text, Jesus says one of the most profound things that affects all of us today. When he says, who of you by worrying can add a single thing to your life? You know, we all, we've learned through science that, you know, everybody has anxiety. If you didn't have anxiety before COVID, you had anxiety after COVID. If you had some anxiety before COVID, it went off the scale. We have a, a staff of about 12 counselors that work in our organization. And everybody treats anxiety. Everybody has to deal with that because anxiety, if you have it long enough, produces other great things like mood disorders, physical problems. And Jesus said, he diagnosed in Matthew, he said, you know, if you worry about tomorrow, tomorrow's got enough worries for itself. In fact, he said, you won't add any time to your life. And we've learned, again, from the revelation of God's word, that if you worry, you have too much anxiety, what happens is you actually take away from your life. You take away quantity and quality of your life. So the word of God has so much insight to who we are as people and how we relate to one another. And the passage you're looking at this morning diagnoses really the problem of most of the fights and quarrels. And this doesn't matter if you're married. This applies to people at work. It applies to your family members, your friends, anybody in your life. If you have a conflict with them, you start fighting some quarrel. Maybe you just say, oh, I'm not a fighter. I just get quiet. Yeah, I know I'm one of those people. I'm not a verbal fighter. I just shut down. And I like to punish people with my quietness. Some of you men do that, don't you? Yeah, just talk. We're asked this question from God's word in James because we so are easily deceived about what's really going on in the inside. We're deceived by that. That's why the question is almost rhetorical. What is really going on when you fight and quarrel people? The bottom line is there's something that you think you need or want that you're not getting. That's what happens out there in traffic all the time, right? All the road raging, somebody cuts you off or stops too quick, and people get angry and fight and pull over. Sometimes they, they hurt each other. Why? Because they wanted respect. They wanted to, to be considerate. They're getting something they don't want. And amen, when we don't get what we want, we, we do crazy stuff. The scripture diagnoses the human problem. Verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they really come from the desires that battle within you? Something you want or need? And, of course, we all get kind of confused about that a little bit too, don't we? <laughs> That's what the last part of verse 2 says. The core issue when we're really irritated is we want something we're not getting. You want or need. And often, listen, often we get this want and need things turned around, right? You do that too? You know, a lot of times when I come in here, I think I need a donut. No, seriously. I, I, I think I need, I think my, my blood sugar feels a little bit low right now. You know, I'm shaking a little bit. I think I need a donut, you know. Um, nobody needs donuts, really. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, but again, our needer and our wanter gets mixed up. I was pulling my car in several months ago out here, and somebody backed in with this big truck, 
cool truck. It had lights on it. it. had all these gadgets all over it and things you pull out. And I thought, you know what? I need a truck like that. <laughs> if it's your truck, please talk to me later on. I mean, it was the coolest truck I've ever seen. I don't need a truck like that. I want a truck like that. And because we have affluence and we have resources, we often go way beyond what we need and we pursue all the things we want. But on an emotional level, we get real irritated when someone gets in our way and we're not getting from that relationship. doesn't matter. Next door neighbor, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad, doesn't matter. So when we don't get what we need we want, we're capable of doing some horrible things. Look at the last part of verse 2 says, you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight because you do not ask God. Now, it's interesting the language used here. Strong words. You kill and covet. Now, I don't know anybody's, fortunately, I don't know anybody who's literally killed anybody over that. But you know what we do? You know, when you, when you kill something, you take the life from it. When we fight and we quarrel with each other, listen, we're capable of doing horrific things with our words. You've seen it. Maybe you've done it. You turn around, you're angry, you say something, and those words come out of your mouth, and you look at the expression on that person's face that you're arguing with. When you're not getting what you want, you don't think you're being heard, and you leash out something, and, and you just see the life go right out of them. It's really easy to see with a child. A parent can turn around, and it's not even the words that they have to use, the tone of their voice. The kid just kind of shrivels, you know? He's like, sit down over there! He's like, They're just deflated. Grown-ups do that all the time with our words. We suck the life out of each other by saying things and speaking words that are curse to one another. The Bible says when we fight and quarrel, there's something we want, we don't get, and we'll do crazy things to try to get it. We'll use our words, we'll, we'll say evil, we'll speak evil, we'll demand things from people. The second thing is coveting. Coveting is just wanting something that's not yours. So what does that mean in relationship to fighting and quarreling? Well, I think it means this. There's some things that we want from people. It doesn't, again, doesn't matter what relationship. The only reason why it applies a lot to marriage is marriage is the longest earthly relationship meant to be lived in close proximity to another person. That's why it's a little bit different. Now, you'll know other people longer, your siblings longer, but by design, you don't live with your siblings all your life. So the more time you spend with somebody, the greater propensity, the greater struggle is to have more conflicts. Why? Because you've got needs, they've got needs. Oftentimes those needs are not met. And when there is something's wrong, we let people know. Now, again, I talked about some of you guys who like to fight in silence. You know, with quiet, you know, you think, well, I'm not going to go off. Let just them go off on me. Sometimes everybody wants to be respected and valued. Everybody wants to feel acceptance. Everybody wants to have satisfaction, happiness. And oftentimes we think we deserve that in relationships. And we don't get what we want from that person. You don't value me like I know I need to be valued. You don't care for me like I want to be cared for. You don't attend to me like I want to be. You're not listening like I want you to listen to me. Or maybe you're listening but you're not doing what I want or what I need. 
You see, this is where we're capable of doing some crazy things. Strong language. You could kill, you covet, you try to get something that's not rightfully yours. And it's interesting, verse 3 says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask for the wrong one. Sometimes we turn to God and ask for help in relationships, especially when there's a conflict, an ongoing conflict in relationship. But it says, as it diagnoses our condition further, Scripture says, you have the wrong motives. You know, we often want God to do something to change somebody else so they will do a better job at meeting our needs. Instead of looking at our own life and say, what is it's going on inside me that I can't manage in this relationship in a healthy way and I, I keep lashing out and I have expectations that they're never going to meet? What is it about me? Even our prayers sometimes are self-centered. You know, we pray like, God, I know you have the power to change Roxana, so get to work on her. Well, seriously, you know, we, we focus on externally on other people rather than say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to change about me that makes this relationship work better that maybe our expectations are different? Maybe when we fight and quarrel, I don't have to use those words so harshly. Bottom line is this, you, verse 4 and 5 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone that chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls us envies intensely? Again, the scripture, the revealed word of God, puts all these words in sequence. And it, the, the summary of the statement in verse 5 is, you know what? Bottom line is, you can't have lasting, satisfied, healthy relationships if you look to the person that you're in a relationship with to do something for you that only God can do. Let me say another way. You can't be satisfied by having walking a fence spiritually, so to speak, kind of dabbling in some spiritual things, you know, and, and expect to be satisfied in relationships. I don't know how anybody makes it, to be honest with you, apart from Christ, and it's not easy with Christ. So here's the some applications that will help us. First of all, just a couple simple spiritual applications. One is, you can say it this way about having friendship with the world and hate towards God is this. Until God becomes enough in our life, listen, until he becomes enough in our life, we will attempt to find and fill those voids with people, places, or things. Now listen, look at the world around us. I mean, people medicate with all kinds of things. A lot of it's legal, some it's not legal. And they're trying to fill some void in their life, whether it's I can't deal with my overwhelming anxiety or I can't go to sleep at night without taking maybe a few glasses of wine and a nightcap or whatever I'm going to do, making sure I have enough Benadryl in me. Listen, we do things to medicate ourselves. But the bottom line, I think, in Scripture is, as revealed in James here, is that if you try to be a friend of the world, you can't really have God in the same way. And the only way to have God is all or nothing. That's why Jesus makes it pretty clear. If you're going to come after and follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's no halfway in it. Probably the most dissatisfied people I know are people who come to church every Sunday. Yeah, they're really dissatisfied because they have a little bit of God, but often not enough. 
Not enough for him to be the bread of life and the substance of life, to be life. They get little doses of hope and message, which is great. But you know what hope is? Jesus is hope. Jesus is hope. So if you need hope, you need more Jesus. Whoa, whoa. There goes my stamp. That's right. The Holy Spirit's a movie. But here, you're never going to be fully satisfied in relationship with people because we often have God-like, thank you, expectations of the people around us. And by that specific, what I mean is, I can't tell you how many people come in marriage counseling, they say things like this. I just don't feel like it loves me. Well, what does love mean to you? Well, you know, it's a very splendid thing. <laughs> All the little cliches, you know. You know, I, I love them because I set them free. And, you know, if they don't come back to me, they never really loved me. Oh, yeah. There's an old poster there. Of course, you know, you set it free, love you, doesn't come back, you hunt it down. Let me, uh, let me give you a definition of the kind of relationship love that the Bible talks about. It's an act of our will. That's accompanied by emotions, but not led by emotions. Listen carefully. So where does that come from? Well, the Bible says, 1 John, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we have to lay down our life for other people. You know, that wasn't a warm, fuzzy kind of love. It was a, an act of his will to... To surrender his life for us. And if we're going to model, this is, this is how we know what love is. This is what it is. It's an act of our will. It's a choice we make. And it, it, it's accompanied by emotions. But we live in a world that love, as we know, is always led by emotions. You know what I mean? Led, guided. That's why everybody comes in for counseling and say, I just don't love him anymore. I say, well, tell me what that means to you. Well, he's not doing this. She's not doing this anymore. She used to do this. She doesn't do that anymore. And again, it goes back. They fight. Well, what, what, what happens? Well, we're fighting all the time. And it's just not healthy for us to be in a relationship where we fight all the time. Well, what about dealing with the issues at hand? Like, what is it you really want, you really need, you're not getting? And it, it brings us to the point of saying and doing horrible things to one another. You know, we can teach people how to fight better. But that doesn't fix anything inside. We offer something we call emotionally focused therapy, which helps people focus on their emotions and what they need. But the reality is until you get to the point where you become satisfied within and you don't have to have the other person there all the time to do all the things to make you feel better and you don't have to turn to something else to medicate or numb yourself and you can really experience life, not an easy life, but life. I love the way John talks about day, pray, word. The reality is when it comes to the sufficiency of Christ in your life, it's not a one-time deal. It's every day. In order for me to be satisfied in my relationship with the people around me, I have to have a relationship with Christ. I have to connect with him on a daily basis. And you know how it works. You know, if you run out of the house too quick, you don't have any time to kind of center yourself and think about God and his presence in your life, and you go out there, how's that working for you on the highway? How's it work when you get to work and there's difficult conflicts with people or the pressures of life build up? You know, it always shows up. 
It always comes out with something someone says, quarreling, short words, tight, or even just the quietness. I'm going to punish you by not saying anything. It's not a virtue, guys. So, spiritual applications, until God is enough for us in our lives, we're going to attempt to fill the void with people, places, or things. Listen, things is really big around here. Everybody's got things, right? Boats, cars, planes, trains, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, but it doesn't fill a void. It occupies time. But it doesn't fill anything that's inside us that we need. So what are some ways that we can avoid conflict with fighting the people? I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture. First of all, Proverbs 23, 12. Apply to your heart instruction and to your ears words of acknowledgement. Proverbs 25 says, like an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Romans 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and the mutual efficacy. And one of my favorite, Ephesians 4. Then we no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men by their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. The, the idea of speaking the truth and love to people in relationships has a very practical application. I just kind of want to share some ways we can do that. Simpler ways we can do that. To avoid what? A lot of fighting, a lot of conflict all the time. But the first thing has got to be, you got to realize when you're irritated, you got to think about what's inside you that you're so upset about. What is it you want or need and you're not getting? I can tell you how many consistent things I hear people come in for couples counseling specifically where a woman comes in and she says you know here's what I, here's my problem I'm carrying all the responsibility for my family I'm raising three children I've got a seven-year-old I've got an 11-year-old and I have a 32-year-old it would be funny <laughs> but I, I tell you a part of our culture is men don't develop as quickly as women do. We know that. We know that physically, it's too emotionally. I think it's probably too spiritually. And so they feel like they're carrying all the responsibility of taking care of the home, the house, the family, the bills like that. Oh yeah, he goes to work every day. But a lot of times, you know, when the discretionary time comes, you know, he's doing the thing. You know, taking the wave runners out. Going with his buddies. Fantasy football. You know, he's just not attentive all the time. She said, you know, I need a man. I need a guy to show up here. Conversely, also, you know, women have their own little vices. <laughs> the bottom line is we can't look at what other people do. We got to think about who we are, what, what we need, and how we're going to be able to express in a way that we can be heard. Hopefully, by trusting in the Lord to give us whatever patience and bind our tongue or open our mouth, let us speak words. I thought years ago about writing a simple book, the key to communication between a man and woman. It'd just be two pages. The first page would say, men need to talk more. You know what the second page is, right? <laughs> so what do you do? When it comes to communicating in a healthy way versus quarreling and fighting, you need to choose the circumstances carefully, the time, the place. You know, certain times are not a great time to talk about things. 
like at the parking lot right before you come to church or my house, you know, before I go to sleep at night. I, I remember early on, you know, my wife would say, are you, are you listening to me? And she'd wake me up, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sleeping. You know, she'd want to talk about things right before I went to bed. You know, and when I get in bed, there's only two things I think about really. Sleep is one of them. Talking's not the other one. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, she'd want to have these long conversations about stuff. And I'm like, I'm tired. You know, and you know, get me before I get, you know, down. Once I get down, my head in a pillow, don't wake me up to talk. So think about the time, the setting. Obviously, when they're out the way out the door, trying to talk to teenagers about things, on the way off to school is probably not the best time. The place matters too. You don't want to talk in front of other people. You want to have meaningful conversations without fighting and quarreling. Don't bring it up in front of other people. Find a quiet place. Put your phone down. See, place matters, because if not, it ends up quiet. Why are you looking there all the time? How come you're not listening to me? I need your eyeballs. Well, I, I can tell you what you said. I've tried that. It didn't work real well. Are you listening to me? And I'd repeat back exactly what they said without ever looking at it. Doesn't work real well. What about the emotional climate? You know, there's some times to bring things up, and there's times not to bring things up. Probably when you really understand what you want and need and you're trying to get it, your needs met, you probably shouldn't do it when you're all worked up. The little acronym H-A-L-T-S, you may have heard before. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, it's not a good time to talk through things. You know what hangry is, right? Yeah, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, it's not a good idea. Or if you're not feeling well, the S is for you feel sick, you don't feel really well. Be specific. If you're going to talk about things, try to avoid. Listen, try to avoid. If you want to have healthy communication to avoid fighting and quarreling, try not to ever say always or never. And, or any derivative of those things. Like, all the time. That's all you do, Eddie. You know? Why is it every time I bring this up, you do this? You know, I didn't say always or never, but it's the same thing. Because you know what people hear when you say always and never? They hear, I'm darned if I do and I'm darned if I don't. It doesn't really matter anymore. Or they hear, you're always doing it wrong. And that's not what you're trying to say, but that's what we hear oftentimes. So avoid always and never in any derivative of those. And the third thing, establish some boundaries, some guidelines for healthy communication in your life. You know, the three words that we try to work with, we try to do in our home and our family with our kids, is true, kind, and necessary. If you could guide your speech with truth, kindness, and necessary, it would really make life a lot better for everybody. You say, what do you mean by truth? Well, you say the things that you know to be true, not how you feel about it. Like today, when I woke up and I asked for help and you didn't help me, I, I felt like you were busy and preoccupied versus why every time I ask you to do anything for me, all you ever do is find something else to do in the garage. You know, that's not exactly true. Always and never are not true, because I guarantee if you point out people you're in a long-term relationship, always and never, they remember the exceptions. That is not true. It was in January of 2004. <laughs> I got up early, got things ready for you, and I helped you out. You know, we have a, like a mind of stone when it comes to things we do. Listen, think about it. True. Second word is kind. Just because something's true doesn't mean you should say it. Listen, I have to share this story. My mom was a 
maybe the best person this I, I know. Um, she passed away a few years ago, and I, I didn't live with my, my family very long. Um, my dad, mom divorced, was young, we moved around a little bit, and then he remarried a, a widowed Pentecostal lady that led my dad and me to the Lord both. And, uh, but my, my birth mother, she prided herself on telling you the truth about what she thought about everything. Like with a badge of honor. So we were getting ready to, I was taking Roxanne out to meet her. We were, had been engaged and long story short, we were together and then we separated and we got back together several years later and got married and I came to my senses. And uh, so I, I, on the way out to visit my mom, I said, you know, my mom, she's got opinions about everything. And she thinks somehow it's important to tell you everything she thinks is true. And I said, I don't know what she's going to say, but I know she's going to say something that's going to be offensive. So we met in a casino. That's usually where we had breakfast with mom. And uh, we literally had just sat down, literally just sat down. And they were pouring coffee. And Roxana reached out to get her cup of coffee, and she'd had her nails done. And my dear mother, who always wanted to say what she thought was true, she looked across the table at my bride-to-be and said, I'll quote her, Oh, caca, Roxana. I'll let John tell you what that means later. Oh, caca, Roxana, why would anybody wear that color fingernail polish? You look like a hussy. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. I'm serious. And, and I, I, I said, Mom, why would you say something like that to anybody? But... But to her, she goes, well, that's how I feel about it. That's, I'm not going to pretend. Listen, just because it's true doesn't mean you need to open your yapper and say it. You know, it, it as Christians, you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. That's why you got to stay connected to God and to speak the truth and be kind. You can't do it on your own. You know, it, it may be true. <laughs> But you don't need to say it all the time. And if you say it, you got to do it in a kinder way. There are a lot of kinder ways to say things than whatever comes about. Again, remember when you're upset because you don't get what you want, you're capable of doing some crazy things. The last thing is necessary. You know, some things are true, and you might even find a way to say it that's maybe kind. But do you have to say it? Do you know how many quarrels and fights start off with reminding somebody that they did it wrong again? Or pointing out kind of the obvious thing that they made a mistake. I just want you to know, does that really help? Do you like it when people point out when you did it wrong? <laughs> In fact, I think the scripture says, Paul talks about love in Corinthians, that real love hardly ever notices when other people do it wrong. Is it necessary for you to be the opinion editor for everything? You know, you're wrong about that. Somebody mentioned something, you know, hey, it's coming up in April, the second Thursday. That's no, not the second Thursday. It's the first Thursday. Look at your calendar, you know. I mean, they said, well, that's where the stuff comes from. Now, you, you got to ask yourself the question, why does that bother you so much? That you have to say those kind of things to start the quarreling and fighting. Again, there's usually something within us that we think we want or we think we need. But we're not getting it. And there's a healthy way to talk about it. True, kind, and necessary. Let me say it one other way, a different way. This comes from a program we're a part of. It says, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. 
Say what you mean. If you don't mean it, don't say it. That's being true. And mean what you say. All right? That's necessary. And but be kind about it. Don't say it mean. Let me just give you one simple example. We'll lock it up here. You know, oftentimes we try to let people know they're doing something wrong. And we're real good about that. I, I learned it really well from my dad. My dad's one of those guys who didn't talk a whole lot. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I remember hearing my stepmom say, Glenn, tell me I'm doing something right. <laughs> you know, or do you like the stroganoff? Or are you happy with the meal or whatever? And he would look at it and he'd just kind of make it sound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of do that Billy Bob Thornton thing a little bit, you know. Like, mm -hmm. he'd, he'd make rumblings like that. And uh, I'll never forget one time I was a, a teenager at the time, I believe, and, you know, she was saying, trying to pump the well mm -hmm. to get something positive out of his mouth other than something negative. And he finally said, dang it, Redeem, you know, if there's something wrong, I would have told you a long time ago. You know, I grew up in a world where I learned how to express if something was wrong. I do. I mean, I may not say anything's right, but, you know, if you ask me, hey, do you like, no. I want to do that. Not going to happen today. You know, I can I can express that. I can learn other things too, and so can all of us. But here's the deal: we have to be able to tell people when we're upset without fighting and quarreling and arguing, without sucking the life out of them with our wicked words, with our cursing, sometimes literal, sometimes bringing up the things you know it's going to hurt somebody. And they've trusted you with some of that information that only you have, and you bring it out like a stick and beat it with. So you can simply say, you know, this morning when I asked for help and you didn't seem to respond, I felt like you were more preoccupied, being busy, and I need you to help me instead of, why didn't you do this? You always, you never do this. Blah, 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 blah. You know, if you give it a shot to think about what you really need and use your words in a true, kind, and necessary way, it might just transform your relationships. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this time and thank you for the, the truth in Scripture that helps us know how to know you and our relationship with you and how to have a, a healthy relationship with other people. Thank you, God, because your truth. We can have a healthy relationship with you, but we have to live the truth that you show us in order to have a lasting and a healthy relationship with the people around us. We need your help. In Christ's name I pray, amen.